few months back, I had a reporter contact me for a story about travel insurance. I'd had a bad experience with one company. They didn't stand behind their policy, so uh, I decided, well, if they're going to cost us a few hundred bucks, I'm going to cost them a few hundred policies. So, you know, I started trashing them right and left. This guy saw it, contacted me for a story, and uh, I'll hand it to him. He really went back over it several times to make sure it was accurate. You know, he, he contacted me several times. Now, this is what it's, yes, that, can I see the documentation? Here you go. And then ran it by his editor. You know, got to say, the travel guy who, for USA Today, really does try to get things accurate. It really feels like that's a rare thing anymore with the news, doesn't it? You know, we've kind of gone from media outlets with slogans that say things like, all the news that's fit to print, or it still matters. Those two are from major newspapers. Now the slogans may as well be 60% of the time it's right every time. You know, you'll read a story and just think, that, that can't be correct. And some of the national stories that we've seen come out of our area, if you, you, what they say bears absolutely no resemblance to the actual truth. Fact is, we're living in an era where truth is hard to come by. There's so many lies. As Abraham Lincoln said, you can't really trust everything you read on the internet. Because things are they're aimed not to inform us anymore, but to whip us into a frenzy. Clickbait headlines, which is really nothing more than good old sweeps week brought into the internet age. We'll get teasers that, that, that make it sound like something's really juicy. And the story doesn't back it up. Delivering the truth has taken a backseat to delivering ratings or page views, and the result is finding the truth is hard. You'll even see stories that will quote a source, and you go back and you'll look at the source, and you know, this doesn't say anything like what they are claiming. Yeah, the truth's hard to come by. And early on in the New Testament times, many preachers, they would go from town to town spreading the gospel. Paul was one of them. They'd plant churches, or if there were already churches there, they would encourage them in the faith. And as time went on, charlatans started to creep in. They'd try this on as a career, but they'd spread falsehoods, deliberately undermine the faith of Christian Christians with Gnostic teachings. We talked about that a bit last week. They're mixing Greek philosophy in with Christian teachings. The result is a belief system that's not consistent. leaves the follower with nothing. They would continue in sin and having destroyed any idea of forgiveness in Christ. And they did this because they saw these guys going around preaching thinking, well, that's better than digging ditches. Seems like an easy way to make some money. And John wrote his letters to prepare the church for such things. 1 John had a lot to do with that. He warns them there's truth, there's falsehood. And Christians need to ensure they're holding to the truth. And his second and third letters are kind of similar. They're both very, very short, very similar in theme. If you turn to 2 and 3 John in your Bible, you might find they're just right across the page from each other. Or they might be the front side and back side of a page. If that page gets torn out, you just lost two books of the Bible. 
Jude, not much longer. Daniel, do that one next week. And no, Jude's first name was not Hay. But as John writes these letters, these really short letters of 2nd and 3rd John, he's reinforcing themes that he'd already introduced in 1st John. These were written about the same time to probably about the same recipients. And he speaks of truth, because to the Christian, truth matters. What we believe, friends, matters. If we believe falsehoods, it puts us on the wrong path. We're saved by believing in Christ. If our faith is not in the true Christ, our salvation is in danger. Friends, this isn't like math class years ago. I had this weird knack in math class. Maybe you had it too, where you could get the right answer but get it the wrong way. Any of you ever do that? Teacher writes on your homework, you got the right answer. I have no idea how. Folks, when it comes to believing in Christ, we're not going to be able to arrive at God down some other path. And this truth of Christ also points us to proper conduct. Falsehoods take us right back to the sin we want to leave behind. The sin that separated us from God. The sin that left us spiritually dead. So as John writes these letters, again, the theme is the same. And he's telling us to continue in the truth. In these two short letters, he points out a couple ways in which we can do this. In 2 John, he writes this one likely to a church. He addresses it to the elect lady and her children, which uh, is really like 99% likely that this is just a figurative way of referring to a church. doesn't say which church. Maybe referring to the church universal. But he points out that the truth of Christ gives us something to do. Beginning in verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. John's telling us we need to live the truth of Christ. When we hear the truth, when we believe the truth, we live the truth. And he mentions some of these truths as we follow Jesus. Here's the thing, Jesus, even Jesus, he didn't boil down the most important commandment to one. When they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, well, really, there's two. Jesus doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, folks. I mean, the name does, but the theology doesn't. If it fits on a bumper sticker, it is probably so boiled down to uselessness that there's no point in it anymore. You've got to watch out for that. 
He says, he gives us a truth. Truth number one, love one another. Christians are supposed to love one another. We are not ever able to say love one another unless we're really worked up. Love one another unless they've really made you mad. We are not given that out. There are no exceptions here. The times in the New Testament where Christians are at each other's throats, slandering, lying, trying to draw up sides, those, friends, are times that are shameful. Times where those Christians are critiqued, are criticized, told, knock it off. They are commanded to repent. Even Christians that are otherwise good in the book of Philippians are... You know, to the church in Philippi, Paul writes at one point, Hey, Euodia, Syntyche, get along. He doesn't say one of them's right, one of them's wrong. He doesn't say, Euodia, you're a great person, Syntyche. <laughs> yeah, you're a person. He, you know, he, he, he says, look, you're working to the same end. Get along. Usually when Christians have disagreements, you know, somebody may have done something wrong. But that doesn't excuse the wounded person from a command to love one another. That doesn't excuse the offended person from having to get along with the person that offended them. In our culture, it does. If someone does something to you, man, now you've got them over a barrel. That's not the way of Christ. For as Jesus teaches us, we are the ones who offended God. But yet, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The wronged party puts forth the effort to make it right. And I tell you, friends, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. John is not giving a recommendation. He is not passing along good advice. He says, this is a command. We don't like to give commands much. We definitely don't like to receive them. You know, what would happen if, you know, I look around and see a lot of married folks in here. You, you, you married folks, if you, you would get home and you would look at your spouse, say, dear, I have a command for you. How well is that going to go? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> we get our backs up. But friends, when Christ gives us a command, you know what we ought to do? Obey. You have a beef with somebody? You're trying to fight something out? Congratulations, you are disobeying Jesus. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If that stings, it is supposed to. Because friends, we are to love one another. 
John's not pulling any punches here. He's the apostle of love. He's gentle, but sometimes even the most gentle among us has to hit us over the head with a two-by-four. We are to love one another. And John says if we're going to serve Christ, we need to obey Jesus' commands. He kind of goes off that command. You know, this is a command. You know what we do with Jesus' commands? We obey them. Jesus says if we love him, we will do as he says. Not if you love Christ, you'll wear the cross and, you know, oh, I love Jesus, and then just do whatever. He says, no, if you love me, you'll do what I say. We cannot love Jesus, friends, while ignoring him. And here he's starting to make these attacks on these Gnostic Christians because he's saying, look, if we love Jesus, we're going to do what he says. What were the Gnostics doing? Not what Jesus said. So he's giving these people who are receiving this letter information that they can use by which to tell who's really following Christ and who is not. Do they love their fellow Christians? Do they obey the commands of Christ? And even today we need some of this, friends. Is so-and-so a good Christian? Well, do they love their fellow Christians? Do they obey Jesus? Because I'm going to give you, my friends, I'm going to give you a sentence that you are not going to want to hear. It is this. Going to church your entire life doesn't make you a good Christian. Doing what Jesus says makes you a good Christian. You can be here, rain or shine, every Sunday morning. And I'll tell you, we preachers, we love that. We need you. It never feels good to show up having prepared a sermon and, you know, two people are here to hear it and one of them sleeps. It's great to have you here. But friends, showing up on Sunday morning and walking in the door is not the end of the matter. And John says none of this is new. John's not giving us new information here. This is all review. Friends, Christians have always been told to love one another and to obey Jesus. These false teachers, they had new ideas. The Gnostics would show up and say, hey, I got all sorts of new teachings for you. And John's saying, look, we don't need new teachings. Don't listen to people with new teachings. What you need is to be reminded of what we've had in Christ. We love new and improved. Oh, it's the new model of car. It's new, improved, it's safer, better mileage, newer technology. Uh, this, I, th I think it's Tuesday. Apple's going to have their thing about the new iPhone. You know, what is it going to be that's new? New cables, apparently. Laundry detergent, new and improved. Really, what's improved? The box. Although, have you noticed our culture has seemed to have won a major war? When was the last time you ever heard about ring around the collar? I, when I was a little kid in the 80, early 80s, I remember seeing that everywhere. Nobody cares about ring around the collar anymore. It's nice to know at least some plagues of humanity have been dealt with. Maybe Tide was new and improved. 
But if somebody shows up here and says, hey, I have Bible to the Jesusing. I ain't real sure that's legit. Jesus is back. There's going to be trouble. Well, that's revelation. But you know, you know what I mean. It's, if somebody comes in with new teachings, friends, and they don't match up with the old, they can get out of here with that. These false teachers, they had new ideas. Their lives were marked with sin. They had no care for their fellow Christians. They should have been able to look and to see something is amiss. These teachers coming in, eh, they're not that Christian. And part of their lies was that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. We talked about that because Gnostics had this Greek philosophy that said matter, material world is bad. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh. And John says, anybody telling you that, he calls them the Antichrist. Yeah, you've probably heard about you know, the Antichrist coming at the end. Folks, the only person in the Bible who uses that word is John. And when he uses it, it is plural. It just means anyone who is against Jesus. It means someone who is taking a stand that is opposed to Christ. If you are taking a stand that says Jesus didn't really come, he didn't really die for our sins, friends, you are against Jesus. So if somebody's like, oh, the Antichrist is going to come, John's like, man, we've had tons of them, we're going to have a bunch of them. Because you see this idea of the Antichrist at the end, what we did is, you know, people have taken the idea of the man of lawlessness and the beast of revelation and mix it with the term Antichrist and, you know, throw it, mix it all up, throw it in the oven 666 degrees and, you know, and, you know this is the, the theology they come out with. It's a little more complex than that. What John is telling us, though, Friends, if we ignore the truth, we are placing our salvation at risk. The truth matters that much. We choose disobedience over obedience, selfishness over love. Those are not the marks of one who follows Jesus. That's evidence of someone who doesn't know him. So we need to hold to the teachings of love for one another and obedience in Christ. And if we do that, we're good. We're, we're, we're with the Father. We're with the, sp- the Son. The Spirit lives in us. We look forward to eternity. But if we let go of the truth... If we refuse to love, if we continue to rebel, we remain outside the Father. We don't know the Son. The Spirit is not in us. John is drawing a thick line and saying, this is how you know. And I know you want to live the truth. And John is telling these people, keep on living the truth. He's not saying you're not doing it. I'm not here saying this because you're not doing it. I'm here saying this because you need to keep doing it. To show care and love for one another. To do as Jesus commands. I'm always impressed at how much Christ view loves each other. We cannot ever let that go. But you get to 3 John. And 3 John's a little bit more of a personal letter. It's not written to a church. It's written to a person. And here it's an encouragement to support those who are spreading the truth of Christ. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, 
who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Friends, as we live the truth, we need to support the truth. John writes this to his friend Gaius. We don't know who Gaius was, other than a prominent person in the church, as well as apparently a personal friend. He has been generous in his hospitality because he would host these traveling preachers as they went from place to place. You know, they didn't have hotels as much. You know, there, there, there were no Holiday Inn chains. Usually they would go and they would stay with someone in the church. This is admirable. Friends, we need to support those doing the work of God. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher. I mean, it is a very personal topic to me. But many times in the New Testament, the point is made that those who spread the gospel, they are doing worthy work. They are deserving of support. And I tell you, we are partners with those we support. We don't often look and see what's going on with our missions. We'll look at who we're sending money to, but in general, a lot of times we don't go and read their emails. You know, I get a lot of them. And I get to see. We went to this place. We baptized these people. Sometimes I see reports from missionaries that someone they've been working with for weeks or months has finally come to Christ. And they always say, thank you for your partnership. Some churches can have a very selfish attitude toward kingdom work. It starts with the phrase, we are our own mission field. Friends, that's a very, very limited mindset. I am so very thankful that doesn't come up here. We have an entire planet to work, friends. We should. We support stuff nearby. We support stuff around the world. In my view, that's how it ought to be. Unfortunately, we can't support everything. I wish we could. I know several great, great works we're not supporting. We, there, there's just only so much we can do unless we just want to send one dollar to everybody, and that's kind of a waste. But I've always been proud of Christ's view at how you have supported missions. And friends, the day is coming in about four weeks where we get to name our support for next year. We've got to be planning to do this. John says to Gaius, you're doing a great work, keep it up. And I think John would say to us, hey, you're doing a great work, keep it up. So much of this later New Testament, these things aren't mentioned because they're not being done. They're mentioned because they are and they are important and we need to continue it. John gives very good advice in verse 11. He says, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Friends, when we do as God does, we show we belong to him. When we do not do what God commands, we show we don't know him. It is not possible to belong to God and yet insist on doing that which God has prohibited. If we're going to support the truth, friends, we're going to need to illustrate it in our lives. 
Yes, even the best Christian will sin. I am not standing up here saying I don't sin. Friends, the church is a rehab clinic for sinners. We are all in here trying to kick the same habit. It appears in each of us in slightly different forms. There's probably some sins that affect me more strongly than you. You may have some temptations that just don't do anything for me. But rather than look at each other and cluck our tongues, I can't believe Vic is like that. We may sin differently, but we both sin. But if we are realistic, we acknowledge it. We admit it as a problem. We work on it as we repent. What John's talking about here is the determined pattern of rebellion. If we are hardening our hearts, if we are setting our faces against God's commands, friends, we are not being his people. When we find out we're doing something we shouldn't, how do we react? Because that's going to say a lot about us. Do we repent? Do we say, yeah, you know, that that wasn't one of my best moments. I know I've had that problem. I need to work on it. Because that's how we ought to be. I wish I was always like that. Sometimes I get defensive. We can be like that, can't we? Yeah, nobody's going to volunteer on that one, huh? But friends, we support the truth of Christ by our generosity and by our actions. Does the king matter, kingdom matter to you? If it does, it's going to be shown by what you do. By how you respond to the commands of Christ. By how generous you are, even. We can say that we support the truth, but the truth of our statement is going to be revealed in our actions. Do they match? John's writing this to remind us. They need to match. You see, here in 3 John, John doesn't have to remind us of the truth. He's writing to people who know it. In 2 John, he brings it up, but so briefly, it's clearly a reminder. If some of these letters in the New Testament are full-blown letters, what we have here may well be postcards. Written to people he knows. Bringing up things they know. So it's emphasized. So they understand this matters. Friends, we know what's right. We know what's true. We live it out. We send it forth. We put that truth to work. Friends, it was necessary in the time of John. It's necessary now. You go on from here, this world is not going to be patting you on the back saying, come on, keep living that truth of Christ. Pulling you every other way. We need to keep on in his truth. Though the world may assail us, though the truth is hard to find, though people may have forgotten what the truth is, friends, we know. And we need to keep at it.
Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you have given us your truth. You have shown us the way where sometimes it's hard for us to know the truth. Lord, you've given us the truth. You've shown us the truth in your son, Jesus. Father, go with us. Help us to live out your truth in every way that we may truly be your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.